Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Explorative Podcast. Welcome to the Exploring Podcast. I am your host, Rob, and joining me tonight is Drexy. Hello, Drexy. Hey, Rob. You ready to fight? Uh, yeah. What are we fighting about? Oh, you'll see. <laughs> okay, cool. All right. And joining us from across the world is Sean. Hello, Sean. Hi, bud. How's it going? It's going well, man. And we have a fourth guest tonight. His name is Ben, and he's a crow. Welcome, Ben. So Sean has a crow in the background that's going to occasionally provide his input. And his name is Ben, because Ben's not here. He's too cool for us. You know what I was thinking about this? I think I, I want to just kind of go ahead and like and just tell the people there that are listening that I think during the summer months, because of how busy the group gets, we're going to probably just go ahead and concede the fact that we're only going to get one episode out a month. Because, you know, people are on vacations, they're going and doing stuff, and Quite frankly, for me, work gets really busy. So I think that moving forward so that you guys have an expectation that can be like, you know, adequately met and so that we don't feel stressed about like getting more episodes out that during like the months of like maybe June to August, maybe September, I don't know, like a three three or four month period, we can guarantee one episode. We can't guarantee more than that. But I just wanted to say that because I do feel a little stressed sometimes and I'm like, oh my God, we have to do this episode because... We haven't done one and people actually listen to this and I, I want to make sure that people are, are listening and blah, blah, blah. So I think that it's better that I just put it out there that for now on, maybe just for this summer, I don't know, but we really can't guarantee any more than just one episode. So once things cool down and they start to come, well, for Sean, I guess it'd be heating up, but once things kind of slow down for everyone, we can get back into a better groove. And I know that a lot of people here within the Explominate like staff and the podcast group and the authors and stuff, they're all gonna like kind of free up here in just a few weeks. So that's what I wanted to say before we started. There we go. The end. Cool. Thank you for listening. And with that, we have some news to talk about. We did an episode not too long ago, and unfortunately we just weren't able to edit it. So we're just gonna redo some of the stuff that we were talking about then. And with that we want to talk about first of all, I want to talk about the second dev diary for Distant Worlds 2 where it kind of goes over some of the things that I think a lot of people are looking forward to when it comes to Distant Worlds, and that's like the exploration mechanics and the kind of things that you can find out in the you know the galaxy. And, you know, it's basically just outlining the focus on that particular feature and the, the group there, the dev team knows that, 
you know, that's what a lot of people enjoyed about Distant Worlds. And they're kind of outlining some of the things. We'll, we'll link it in the description below so you can go take a look at it. But they're definitely making sure that people understand that that's a focus for them and that they're making sure that they add some fun stuff to find in, you know, derelict ships and, you know, monsters and cool things that you can find on a variety of different planets. And of course, they have like the huge list of resources you can get into and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think it's it's a, it's a much better... I don't know, maybe it's a much better look for Distant Worlds with these these dev diaries as opposed to the <laughs> like really awful videos that we saw before and we, we commented on. So I'm excited. Did you guys read the dev diary at all? Uh, yeah, I'll quickly scan for it. Uh, but yeah, super excited for Distant Worlds too. Uh, do you really think it's going to come out this year? I do, but I can't really say why. I do think it'll make the... By the end of the year, I think it'll be out. Yep, for sure. I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, and I think it's gonna be make it. It's gonna make it really hard for us because I don't know, you know. So humankind seems to be a little bit more polarizing than I expected, and we can talk about that. At, we're gonna we're going to be talking about that at the end of this episode once we get past the news. But I was expecting like this like three way like Titanic, maybe even four way Titanic battle between remnants of the precursors, humankind, old world, and distant worlds too. But with when we had this conversation last, we kind of started talking about this and. I think lines had already been drawn, even though half of us haven't played half of these games. <laughs> so, you know, I think that, you know, going into it, it's going to be fun to see what what the community likes at the end of the day or end of the year and what they think is the best game of the year, because there's some pretty big games, huge games, really, in the 4X world. And Humankind is, you know, it's it's putting up like absurd numbers. We're going to talk about that, but they're they're definitely happy with sales on that one. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think Distant Worlds 2 is going to be a great addition. And I don't think it's going to look to stray too far from its formula. And I think people are really wanting that. So, like, they don't want it to stray from its formula. I think they want the, the, the like, the, the game to be updated and looking better. But everything else is pretty much similar. So I think they're going to get that. Anyway, speaking of Old World, there was also a Designer Notes blog entry, which is basically like Soren Johnson's Dev Diary series, where he talks about his decision for city sites. And how, I guess, it's a bit more controversial than I thought it was, because for some reason people think it's bad, even though I think the majority of people think that they're great, they're great ideas. But it's basically the city sites being that there's only specific sites where you can settle your, your colonies or your cities. And it's not the first game to do this. I think, actually, I, I want to say the first game to did it was Elemental and some of those games that were, you know, the Fallen Enchantress games, because I remember they were... Like you can only find specific spots where there's enough magic and food to actually settle because Fallen Enchanters is set in like a post-apocalyptic world. And, you know, there's only certain spaces that you could find that would provide enough, you know, resources and life for, you know, a city to build. But Soren goes into why he chose city sites, why he thinks that they're, you know, the best way to handle Forex games because he doesn't like basically like city creep and he doesn't like forward settling from AIs. And he thinks that it helps keep things space enough that provides enough like tactical considerations and stuff like that. So I think it's a pretty cool dev diary. And Soren Johnson's a freaking brilliant, brilliant man. So you should read it. It's in the description below. Yeah, I mean, they're all great reasons he's listed. And also just historically, cities also don't just pop up anywhere. There's there's always been a reason why they're situated wherever they are, whether it be by a river or a dock somewhere. You know, they're... Or there's good resources really close and just more stable sites. So historically, there's reasons why cities are where they are. 
Right. I mean, like you talk about ancient Egypt and you like, I'd say that's probably like one of the first real like major civilizations that people learn about. And of course they chose that particular region because of the Nile and the Nile. Yeah. And uh, well, Mesopotamia before that, which is the Tigris and Euphrates and whatnot, all of those cities were around those two rivers over in uh, Samaria and whatnot. Exactly. And if you guys don't know this, Old World actually takes that into consideration when it chooses these city sites, because each of these maps are random, but the city sites actually consider, like Drexia just said, they consider the natural resources around them. They are more likely to appear near rivers. And so, in a way, this is like historically accurate, too. So, I think the, I mean, of course, he writes really well. So, I really love that he writes about this and kind of, it's different because most people go through and they write dev diaries as they're developing the game. But now Soren's kind of like writing all these like kind of like almost not postmortem because they're still actively developing this game. In fact, insanely enough, these this past Monday, the the patch was pretty radically changed the UI in a way that I th- I think is fantastic. It's much more easy to read and, and you know, kind of make your way through all your characters and like kind of filter through all of them and stuff like that. But it is weird to see that this like series of dev diaries are coming out like after 1.0 hit and you know not as a as opposed to maybe not like in the lead up to a 1.0 which is what normally developers do you know kind of unveil some of the game mechanics and the reasoning behind it here he's kind of doing this like like post-mortem thing where he's like explaining the decisions he's made after the fact which i think is cool because you know i think Swan was probably just too busy to write before and now he's he's got a little bit more time yeah i mean uh the developer notes is basically that post mortem on developers' game, so he's just doing his own one, which I, I, I like. I like the idea of that rather than you know, rather than hyping, saying stuff before games out and hyping people up, and when it comes out, it doesn't sort of live up to that expectation. But if you talk about stuff post release, then you know you've got it ends up being a more balanced, just more balanced uh, view of the game because you know. Not only has he thought of the idea, he's played it, tested it, and the public have played it. So, yeah, I think it's a good idea. It doesn't feel like hyperbole, and like he's not trying to like convince you of anything. He's saying this is how it was because of this. And it's not like a, an advertisement, which I think is good because, like you said, it's more of an explanation and not more of, and, and less of an advertisement, which I, I can get down with. So it's good stuff. I'm hoping to see another one soon. There should be another one soon because I imagine he wants to keep talking about some of the stuff he's done. But... Yeah, I also know that they're close to announcing some things, so look forward to that. I don't know exactly how close, but I know that it's going to come sooner than rather than later. So I'm hoping, and I don't know this because I don't I don't know the inner workings of Mohawk, but I'm hoping for a Steam release date, and I'm hoping for a publisher deal because I know that they were looking for both. So yeah, exciting. And speaking of, I, I just want to go back to it because we've we just I just mentioned it. The Fallen Enchantress Legendary Heroes game series. I guess they would be the elemental games. So surprisingly enough, Brad just came out of nowhere this past week and said, hey, I'm still working on Fallen Enchantress Legendary Heroes I'm on the side, and I'm actively working towards a version 3.0. But in the meantime, he released version 2.6, which has like a plethora of hardware fixes. And basically... He's done his best to kind of help the engine take advantage of modern hardware, which is fantastic because I actually tried to do a Let's Play series and I had to cancel it, completely do away with it because I was just running into so many hardware issues. And like for some reason, despite the fact that 
I do have this like very modern computer. I was getting, you know, like dipping into like the 15 and 20 frames per second range. And I was like, no, screw this. It's not even playable. But from what he's saying, and again, we're going to link this, some of these issues have already, hey, he's fixed. He's, I think he's actually allowed some of it to work with 64-bit and he's allowed other stuff to share thread or, you know, change threads and stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of mechanical talk for stuff that I don't really understand, but it sounds like he's done a lot to help performance and I'm I'm eager to get back. Yeah, this is what, what I love about Brad because he knows full well that doing this isn't going to sell a bunch of copies of the game. It's just purely out of passion and he's probably like, hey, I've got some free time and, I, you know, I, I love the games I make and I just want to improve them. And for all you players still playing this game out here, here's a little little bonus for you. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to trying these out when it comes out. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying that as well. Just to echo what Drexy was saying, I just think it's crazy how long... I mean, Stardock support their games for a long time too, don't they? But um, that Brad's still supporting this game after all this time is just crazy. I mean, it's great. It's kind of crazy. Hell, they just came out with a new version of Galactic Civilizations 3 too. It's, it's, these guys don't stop supporting their games. And for me, that's always been a reason why I've been a huge Stardock fan because, I mean... Back in the day when Elemental came out and they were like, I mean, they were rightfully met with absolute like <laughs> anger and frustration and a lot of disappointment. They they could have taken the route of, you know, oh, well, well, you bought what you bought and, you know, we did our best and so be it. But they instead took it upon themselves to make sure that the following two games, for anyone who adopted Elemental early, they were able to then receive... Fallen Enchantress and then Fallen Enchantress Legendary Heroes for free. And then there was like this phasing out phase or like phasing out portion where, you know, if you bought it after a certain date, you'd only get Fallen Enchantress. And then if you bought it after a certain date, no, sorry, you know, you knew damn well what Elemental was at this point. So we're going to do our best to fix it, but there's not, there's only so much we can do. And well, I just thought it was really cool because I ended up getting two free games out of it. And the end product being Fallen Enchantress Legendary Heroes was a game I spent hundreds of hours on and really enjoyed and still one of my favorite 4X games of all time. So thank you, Stardock. Yeah, I actually jumped in in uh, the first Fallen Enchantress and I got Legendary Heroes free. So <laughs> so it wasn't just the fucking elemental people that got it. The Fallen Enchantress people also got the Legendary Hero version for free. See, I didn't know that. That's awesome. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, who does that? Nobody does that. And I think I know it's because... Brad has made it clear that the money that they generate, like Stardock generates, does not come from their entertainment side. I mean, it does now, I guess. It started to like become something that they make more money off of than their their product suites and their, you know, like basically their, I mean, they, 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 they sell products that manipulate and like alter and configure and customize windows. And that's like their thing. And that particular like suite of programs was their their main bread and butter, at least back then. And so when they made this decision, they were like, well, we know we're losing money anyways, but we want to make this right. So there's very, 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 very few developers that would have done that. And they are the only one that I can think of. So good stuff. I want to play it. I'm probably going to do it soon. And I will report. And, you know, of course, I did want to mention too that I mean, I sort of mentioned the Galactic Civilizations 3 thing, but their newest update did a lot of things to kind of give like quality of life upgrades. And there was like a bunch of bugs fixed and just a lot of stuff that I I don't follow Galactic Civilizations 3 anymore because I think Galactic Civilizations 4 is like light years beyond Galactic Civilizations 3. But 
I know that the patch was well received and it doesn't need to be happening. It doesn't because they're working on Galactic Civilizations 4 actively and, you know, they're in the early access period with that game. So I'm sure like all hands are on deck for that game, but yet somehow they managed to make time to deliver a, a patch for that. So another great thing. So speaking of that, Galactic Civilizations 4 just came out with 0.50, which is, I guess, I'm assuming that these incremental you know, because they're, they're coming in 0.5 increments. So we had, we started off at 0.4, we went on to 0.45, and now we're at 0.50. If the math is right, that means that maybe we hit 1.0 around like April or May of next year. And I'm excited by that because, actually, no, my math is off really badly. I mean, that would only be like roughly five months from now. So yeah, like March or April is probably more like it. And with that, they've actually enacted the ability to play as two different, two new races, the Festron and the Drenjin. And they've also started to add these commanders. These like basically like the, they have fleets now and like a command system now. I haven't really dove into it. I want to check it out and see what it's all about. But they've also gone back through and, and changed some of the like asymmetric abilities of each of these races and Really, it's just looking really damn good. It's, 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 I mean, if this is only halfway through the EA period, I am very, 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 very excited about the end product because they've done a lot just to make it feel like a much better game. The quality of life stuff is there. They're adding some really cool systems to it, and they're polishing the systems that they've already added or they've or they had already included before. So, I mean, you know, I know that Epic Money is really helping them out. So I haven't actually played it yet. I do definitely intend to, but just wanted to ask, it sounds like it's pretty far along already. Do you think that if going off your math, if it hits like March next year, do you think they can have it released ready by then? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like the base systems are all in, like, I mean, beyond that, like everything other than combat, I think combat's probably the only major thing that isn't implemented yet. And there's also another system like a, so like at the bottom of the, the game, there's a UI, a real, real, there's the, whole, the UI is much prettier in Galactic Civilizations 4 than many, probably any of their other games ever. But there's a, like a UI element that says coming soon and I forgot what it is. And it seems like it's some sort of like, some sort of management or some sort of like extra mechanic that hasn't been implemented yet. But combat, which is supposed to be like much more cinematic and pretty and you know, engaging in some ways, but also more informative too, is completely missing at this point. I imagine they could get it done in six months, five months, but and especially if they've been working on it in the background, but that's the major thing that hasn't been implemented yet. So, I mean, assuming they can get that in, I would say yes, absolutely. But yeah, the 0.5 update is pretty darn substantial and it's pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, just as a quick list of things that they've added and we'll move on, but like I said, they've added commanders. So every faction has now a set of seven command ships that they have access to. Again, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to see what that's about and and report back. We have battle actions, so we're bringing battle to the main map. I don't know what that means either. It doesn't say anything. You can now reform your government, which is something you couldn't do before. And a lot of the policies that are now like kind of attached to ideologies are implemented. And you can now imprison citizens, which is pretty cool. And I guess that's like a main mechanic of the dungeon. So... Yeah, that they, they imprison people and do stuff, but you can also consume people in the same way that you imprison people. And the consuming people is how the Festron work because they're like space spiders and yeah, a bunch of other things. So there's just like a balance to colony upgrades and culture points and specializations and stuff like that. They, they've also gone through and added. So 
Um, yeah, it's, it's a huge update. And like I said, if they can drop a huge update like this every month, I can't imagine that they wouldn't be done by you know April of next year. All right. So with that, and with that, we also wanted to talk about High Fleet, which is a game that in our episode that we, that Sean, Ben and I, I don't think you were there, Drexy, were you? Uh, um, I think that's the episode that I woke up halfway through. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one. So in this episode, we spoke about High Fleet, which is a game that Microprose dropped, and it was, they're kind of like the return to form before the Carrier Command 2 came out, and we'll talk about that eventually. I think we, uh, Sean, you've been playing Carrier Command, right? No, I haven't. I think Ben's the only one that's played it. I looked at it, but I haven't tried it yet. Okay, I, I played it a bit too, so... The High Fleet game, though, is fantastic, and we all kind of agreed on that. It was basically like an old school. I mean, I think all four of us are playing it now because I think we convinced yep. Drexy to get I, it. Yeah. Well, Sean actually gifted it to me, and I'm really glad because I haven't played it a ton, but it feels so much like an old microprose game. It's bizarre. It just, I could imagine playing like a not as pretty version of this, like from in the early 90s from microprose it's just got that feeling to it yeah it's kind of what we were talking about is just we in the the mention of microprose we were starting to they kind of round up all these games that microprose used to be not responsible for but they were responsible for publishing and i mean it's like a who's who of what games like the, the amazing the best games of the 90s right like you're talking about XCOM and civilization colonization some of the like um, really good battle sim- or flight simulator games, and uh, there were so many more. We we just kept listing them, and so Microprose, having been the publisher for all these games, you know, of course, getting back into the publishing game probably has some high expectations. And we were saying how it's pretty wild how High Fleet kind of met those expectations. I mean, it's a strange game, but and it's also like an amalgamation of like fourteen different genres. But it somehow pulls them all off and is a lot of fun. So we were, yeah. And, and like you said, Drex, it feels like a Microprose game. It feels like, you know, just something off the wall enough and unique enough that had it come out in the 90s and had like pixel graphics, I would have been, I mean, it does kind of in a way, but it doesn't look, it looks amazing. It would not have surprised me if that was a game that, that you know, dropped in the mid 90s and, you know, was a game we're still talking about today. Yeah, so I'm not familiar with the original Microprose stuff. I think when you're talking the mid-90s, I would have been about five. So so coming at it from the new ones, yeah, I, it, it was completely off the wall for me. I sort of looked at it and went, oh, I don't know if I'll be into this. And then I played it and I went, holy crap, this is awesome. Like It looks it, it's really immersive. It's got the diegetic interface and the weird-looking screens. And it's got the this mashup. Like, you go through the prologue, because I, I knew nothing about it. So I went through the prologue and went, oh, you know, I, I don't really know what this is yet. And then you get into it and you're like oh, this is cool. It's like a roguelite. And then it's this crazy strategic roguelite with all your Elint and your crazy arcade ship battles. It's just, it's wild. It's incredible. It's really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like Mountain Blade meets Star Control meets like, I, I yeah, a roguelite. It's probably the, I, I, and there's probably some other like serious inspirations there, but it's it's pretty cool. I mean, like there's a story, there's an actual narrative to it. But like the general gist is that you have to get to places without like getting caught by these huge fleets, and these fleets are like killer fleets, hunter killer fleets, and you know if you if you get caught by one of these hunter killer fleets, you're very likely to get killed until you know maybe you're you're possibly capable of getting it later. I don't know. I haven't made it far enough to see if like maybe you eventually get to a point where you can take them on, but 
Yeah, it's it's a really cool game, and I I've been enjoying it. I need to get back into it. I've been playing Humankind so much that I haven't, but it's it's unique and it's it's special. I've made it a fair way through. I haven't finished it yet. You you can actually kill them. I've got I've I've got my own auxiliary ships now that can kill them, except then I end up getting nuked by missiles and plane spam, and then I die eventually. So I still haven't finished it, but I'm having a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Well, you want to tell us about the Ambrose patch for Phoenix Point real quick? Sure can. So uh, the Ambrose patch, it is basically the patch that they've brought out, um, like the pre-console release patch. Like this is the version of the game that's going to get released on consoles because um, they've just started going through the certification process for it now. And basically it's just a massive balance patch. Like there's way too much stuff for me to list off but like they've done stat changes there's strategy layer changes they've changed that you can now make all the neutral weapon and armor at the start of the game instead of having to research it Uh, there's a lot of quality of life stuff and just balance changes and from what i've seen it's been pretty well received yeah great stuff and i know that there's still more dlc coming for that game and i'm excited to see what happens funny enough i'm actually the subreddits moderator like i'm one of like two and there's been a, a large uptick in people that have actually started talking about Phoenix Point on the subreddit. And with that means I get like a, mo- a lot more reports on trolls and stuff like that. And I, I've had to ban more people from the subreddit on <laughs> on Phoenix Point subreddit than I've ever had to with any of the, the subreddits I've, I've moderated. So it's uh, it's I guess that's good. I guess it's getting enough people that are excited about it that there's also enough trolls. But the trolls are getting a little tiring. Not gonna is lie. This like the people, is this like the people that were there when it launched and were mad about it, and then they've left, and now they've like it's popular enough that they've come back again? Yeah, and there's also some people who are like diehard defenders of it to the point where they're like they will not tolerate people saying things that are negative about it. Those have, there's been more than one of those that I've had to ban as well because they get like just they just got really nasty. You know, like at first it was okay that they were like, yeah, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. It's gotten really good. But then it was like, you know, like <laughs> just name calling and racist remarks. And one person went on this like this huge racist tirade and was like, I know, I know you're going to ban me. So just ban me. And I came in and banned him. So yeah, it's, it's pretty wild, but it's just, it's interesting to see that like out of pretty much nowhere, it just seems like there's a lot more interest in the game. I don't know if that's because Ambrose was so well received or if it's just that, you know, there was a sale on it or something. I don't know. I, I don't, don't know, but. There's been a lot more people on the subreddit, and that means a lot more work for poor little volunteer moderators like me. Yeah, I think it's a few things. Well, they've I think they've reduced the price of the game. They've got the Ambrose patch. Like, the console release is now somewhere on the horizon. Like, they know there is actually a date, and it's coming. And then there's information for the fourth DLC coming presumably sometime soon, because I think maybe... I could be wrong, but I think maybe the console version is coming out with that fourth DLC. I think it launches at the same day, actually, yeah. So that's coming out at the same time. So there's just all that stuff together, I think, has just made it more visible, more on people's radar. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, good stuff. And I, it's a game that I've <laughs> very frequently talked about coming back to. And I think I think what will happen is that I'll, like, eventually when all the DLC drop, I'll come back and give it its full go. I didn't give XCOM 2 a full go until it was all done. And, you know, Wrath of the Chosen or whatever it was, I forgot what it was called. Um that, w- that had been completed and all the other DLC and all the little patches had come out and they had decided that that was like, you know, a final game. That was when I finally jumped in XCOM 2 and really enjoyed it. So I have a feeling that if I just waited until Phoenix Point gets all its shit and then give it a go, I'll probably enjoy it 
better that way. War of the Chosen. That's what it's called. Yeah. Anyways, so a couple other things I want to talk about, and then I want to talk about Humankind and Conquest of Elysium, which are the huge, huge, huge releases for our favorite genre. But there's also an Imperium's Greek Wars patch that came out. It's titled something to the effect of Trading Posts. And it talks about how like now you have trading posts that can basically be built within your cities. And it now is like more important for you to maintain peace with other factions because you know as long as you have these trading posts within your towns, these factions can trade through your cities and like basically generate income for you passively. And that's always good. So they've also done some work on the diplomacy and have improved sort of like the explanations for when you get rejected on things. There's AI improvements to that as well, and a lot of game balancing and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, I'm I'm impressed with Cube Games and that they keep working on this game because, I mean, it's a historical, like a set-piece historical 4X where, you know, you're talking about almost the same time period, if not the exact same time period of Old World, and Old World kind of like sucked up all the oxygen in that like, you know, that set-piece historical 4X like niche. So... I'm glad that they're still working on it. I really think that the gameplay behind this game is significant and good enough that we should be talking about it more. But I know that the veneer, the paint on it is just so ugly that many people have written it off and we don't talk about it as much as we should. But, you know, the, the guy's the clear history. I mean, he's, he's talked about it. We, we had a really good interview with him and he talked about his like, you know, extensive background in board game development. And it's clear that that's like, you know, become... That's really rubbed off on his game, his gameplay development, his, you know, his, his ability to design this game because it feels like it's got a lot of like cool board game mechanics, but it also, it feels unique in a lot of ways too. It's just ugly as sin. So I'm hoping that gets fixed one day. One of the episodes we did that never got released, which was me, Ben and Sean, we actually discussed this and I, at the time I did try to play the game finally. And I was just put off by the the map. It was just so hard to see anything on it. Yeah, which is a shame, really. Yeah, it's kind of muddy. It's like, and nothing really stands out. So I, I see how you're talking about Like, I see what that means. I mean, the, not only are the graphics not great, they feel like they're out of like the early 2000s, which I feel like is probably like one of the worst periods of game graphics there are. But like, it's all kind of in similar hues. So it... It's it's really difficult to see what the hell is going on. Anyways, last thing I want to talk about is Slipways, which came out with its first huge update, and it's being received extremely well. And I'm really happy to see that because the developer, Jacob, he has been working on various iterations of Slipways for like a decade now, and finally kind of, you know, put his head down and made a Unity version of it. And it's been received so well that even Tom Chick from Quarter to Three, who's somebody who has quite a large following and has had a lengthy history in game reviews, game reviews and critical thoughts on a variety of games, including especially strategy games, has actually named it his favorite game of the first half of 2021. So he had like a top 10 list and he, he listed Slipways as number one. And from what I understand, our very own Sean is kind of addicted. Tell me a little bit about what you think of it. Yeah, I've been having a blast with it. I've um, I'm really, really enjoying it. Like the music is, uh, the music sounds really cool. Like the the visuals are appealing to me. It's it feels like it's deceptively simple. I think like it it's pretty easy to pick up, but then hard to get good at it. 
and due to the random nature of how things show up all around the map, it can almost um, like there's there's a lot of potential to screw it up and then have to start again. But then that's all fine because it's so quick to play. Like it doesn't really matter if you screw it up. You know, you're not you haven't been committed for like twenty or thirty hours or whatever. You're only committed for about half an hour, and it's really nice because I've had a very little free time over the past few weeks. So this is something I can dive into, play some of it, and then. If I come back, if it takes a couple of days, I come back and I either remember what I was doing or even if I don't and I've screwed it, I can just quit it and start again and I haven't really lost anything, you know? So it's it's been really nice. I'm so happy to hear that Ben has finally spoken up. Clearly he was agreeing with you in the background. <laughs> Rude bugger. Shut up, Ben. <laughs> awesome. So great stuff. It's a game I plan on picking up because I enjoyed the demos and stuff and like the betas that I was in. I have not played the final version. I think I might actually have the final version through itch.io. So maybe I should check that out. But yeah, no, it's, there's so many good games. It's hard to get just to be able to play any of them or all of them or one of them. So let's get into the back half of the show where we're going to talk about humankind and conquest of Elysium. So there we go. It's happening. I really want to talk about humankind because clearly that's a huge 4X release and easily Amplitude Studios biggest release. I want to talk quickly about their response that they they made on their official channels the other day saying that basically that humankind is their best-selling game their most wishlisted game their most profitable game i don't know if they said profitable but most like you know i'd say successful probably is i think the best way they put it but basically it, it broke every metric they had and that the game is doing very well and for the first say three or four days it was on it was in the top 10 of games played on steam and then it dropped out of it and now and now it's sitting around like the upper forty thousands of concurrent players which is just really i mean in in to put it into perspective like you have like counter-strike which is in like the seven hundred thousands, right there's nobody's going to touch that but then you get into like you know some of the bigger the other bigger like multiplayer games and they get into like the hundreds of thousands and then we talk about games like Minecraft, oh, not Minecraft, sorry, Terraria and these other games that are like kind of like mainstays, like staples of Steam. And they're around the same concurrent user mark as Humankind is right now. In fact, Humankind has more concurrent users than Civilization VI, which, you know, doesn't surprise me too much because, of course, Civilization VI now is like five years old. But it is pretty cool to see that it's the most successful 4X on Steam right now completely. And Amplitude Studios has never done anything close to that. I mean, Endless Space 2 and Endless Legend might have had like, you know, 10,000 concurrent users, maybe. So to have five times that at one point is pretty darn awesome. So with that being said, it's clearly Amplitude Studios' most successful game, but it is meeting with some, I don't know, I, I guess a lot more of a mixed reaction than I expected. In fact, for a minute, it was actually mixed on Steam, which... I'm surprised by because if you go through and like for me I'm I'm on Twitter a lot and I kind of like passively communicate with some of like the bigger strategy game YouTubers and stuff like that and a lot of them were really digging it like Party Elite and Quill 18 and you know Havoc and all these guys who you know have channels dedicated to strategy games were like just really really excited about it and you know, they were saying like, of course there's issues. And I want to talk about those issues here because I, I agree with them and I have my own, but that at the end of the day, the game was fun and it was unique and it 
was bringing back some of those same like you know the, the, the same level of excitement that early civilization games did and you know for me that that's a big deal like when people who are playing strategy games for a living literally to make money off youtube with them and probably you know kind of get tired of them eventually at some level are saying that this game is really reinvigorating their love for strategy in fact havoc who's usually somebody who kind of has like a a wide breadth of strategy games that he plays and talks about and and does videos for he's basically said that he's making his channel like a very dedicated humankind channel for a while because he's just that in love with it so those are that's a big thing and then quill 18 somebody who you know, is clearly someone that that loves strategy games, who highlights a lot of Paradox's games, who's done a lot of Civilization streams, both Civ Five and Civ Six, And for him to come out and say, like, it's one of the best games he's played in some time and he's really enjoying himself too. I mean, it just seems like a lot of, like, the mainstream strategy enthusiasts are really enjoying it. But then you have people like Leanna Hafer and these people from, like, Three Moves Ahead, and I'm not trying to, like, you know throw down the gauntlet here but like you know they just seem very critical of it for some silly reasons and that that part bothers me so i like some of what they said on the three moves ahead podcast actually was okay like i i understand some of like the disconnect between transfer you know um you know accepting or like what's the word i'm looking for embodying new cultures each you know each era i i do think that you know other things that they were saying with some of the bugs and stuff like that that those make sense but a lot of the things that they were like the the, the thing one of them said was that there was it felt soulless really kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I think finally humankind for amplitude studios is the first game that I really feel like has a bit of a soul and you know it makes me feel like they were actually trying to make something feel a little bit more personal three two one fight I agree <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> okay look I disclaimer this game's been out was it 32 hours or something so i haven't put a mess i've probably played maybe two or three games of it but uh, here we go (laughs) for a start why did they put the endless legend and turn sound into this game because it's it's triggering me so hard i think it's just they're kind of like they're homage to previous games i mean it's different it's the same it's the same tune right like it's the same like uh, i I understand what you're saying it is the same sound it's just modified i watched one and a half videos of you playing it who else did i watch someone else playing it and then i've played it myself and i just can't get into this game i just end up loading up conquest of elysium 5 I just can't. I, I don't know. There's it, the pacing for me is too slow. I don't like when you suddenly become another, um, a different empire. I would rather you slowly transition into a different empire rather than okay, you've done enough, you've made enough points and researched enough and made enough cities or whatever the points you need for the era to for you to pick a new civilization. And suddenly, like in one of my games. I was the Chinese one, and then suddenly I, I was the Romans. It's just, I don't know, I found it very j- jarring, really. Well, so my counter-argument to that is it's also jarring to start as the Americans in the, like, Neolithic era, like, civilization, right? Like, the Americans clearly are a, a civilization that didn't really, or, like, a culture that didn't really, you know, come into its own until the 18th century. And so with that i mean like this is the same level of jarring like so that's what i'm saying like this is this is where i started to get a little bit annoyed by that because like 
civilization has its own jarring stuff. Like you're you're the same civilization, you're the same culture for an entire four thousand year period, right? In in civilizations. And like no one's ever complained about that. But this one is trying to kind of make the like flow of culture or like the the adaptation of a culture kind of like a you know a, a fun in a game sense and like oh it goes so jarring it's so weird but i think it's also just as jarring to have you know george washington lead the americans for four thousand years okay 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 but why why are you doing what civ does if that's wrong then don't do another wrong version of it and say <laughs> oh well civ does it okay i can kind of see a basis that Basically, civilizations are not the same during time. So that's good. You know, the Holy Roman Empire was not the same as the Nazis, you know, even though they did try and harp back to that. But obviously, over time, civilizations change. But going from a Chinese civilization to a Roman civilization, it's it's just beyond, like, how... I would have rather they didn't use historical civilizations or loosely based in civilizations on historical ones and where you you sort of tailor your 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 civilization do certain things to slowly evolve it into the new era a different type of civilization that was around in that era rather than just okay you've got enough points and oh by the way you're the roman empire or whatever but your neighbors are like the Hittites or something. <laughs> it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't mind the system personally. It's uh, as far as I know, the goal was intended so that you're not playing as the same faction with the same playstyle for the whole game, right? Well, that and to continue to feel relevant, right? So, like the thing is about, like, let's say a Civilization Six, like let's say you chose the English, right? They have their emblematic unit for a short period of time in history, and sometimes you're not able to take full advantage of it. Whereas this time, every time you you're into a new era, you have an oppor- you ha- you are able to choose a new culture who has a new unit that is relevant during that era and has a particular strength associated with that. So, like you know, I, I don't want to get too much into this, but like say for instance, like in in Civilization Six, I forget like the English might have like longbowmen or something like that, and you know, so like for like the medieval period during a Civilization game. That's where you'd want to use that unit if you could. But here, like, let's say the Zhao, right? The Zhao have, I don't know, the Zanch or whatever it is. I forgot what it's called. But they have, a like, a chariot, a chariot, like, you know, that's that's particularly powerful against certain enemy types and has a particular affinity for, you know, a particular, you know, whatever. I, don't, I forgot exactly how, whatever their unit does. But then when you go in, you become the Romans. The Romans have the legionnaires or whatever. If you end up taking a culture that in Civilization VI only can shine for like a certain period of time, these cultures allow you to continue to remain relevant each time you're you're entering a new era and have their own particular niche, particular strength that they can lean into in order to be good that during that particular era. Yeah, so I do actually kind of like that system just as a straight up gameplay mechanic because I feel like if I'm playing as the same culture for the entire thing, I feel like we sort of get 
I don't know if, if it's the right terminology, but like stuck in a rut kind of thing. Like I'm going the same way, the same path. Like, and if I deviate from it, I'm kind of screwed, sort of thing. But I like how when you can change cultures as you go through, like you completely, you could play as something that's war focused, and then change to something else is like I don't know, research focused or diplomacy focused or something. Like you'd have to change up your play style, and it breaks up the monotony kind of thing. So I actually quite like it. Right. I just think that there's no. I do think that there's probably some sort of middle ground between what civilization, the civilization series does and what humankind chose to do to make it feel a little bit more fluid and a little bit more natural. But I do like that. I mean, like we're talking about games, right? Like I'm not super worried about, you know, my Assyrians looking like, you know, I don't need a gradual change. I do think it would be cool. I do think that what Drexy's saying like would make it feel more immersive like if I just started to gradually see my people change from a Syrian to like a Zhao type culture, but it would still be weird, right? Like to go from, you know, a like Mesopotamian culture to like, you know, like a Far East culture. Like that well, would no, because the Mongols actually got all the way into Persia and whatnot. So it it does happen. Okay, <laughs> no, right. Yeah. It just doesn't happen overnight. A great point. I think that would be something that that would be, I mean, like a humankind too, I would love to see that. I just don't see it. Like I, I think that's probably more work than you'd imagine. And I think that it doesn't really break the game in ways that, that really affects me, but I can see why people are bitching about it. I think uh, Soren Johnson and uh, Old World had a better solution for it where it's, you know, you're not moving through eras so fast. It's it's more of a gradual thing rather than this age-old thing, which is uh, suddenly you've gone from your Americans in the uh, Stone Age somehow with a Lincoln up to nuclear weapons and whatnot. So I just think maybe we should just throw out that fucking Civ trope. It's it's wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think you have a good point. Like, if you could use something, like if you if you did something that was more like humankind and old world put together, where maybe some of those culture changes came by way of of an introduction of cultures through marriage and stuff like that, and then or religion changes, and you yeah, know, there's so many things you can do, or a technology that's been traded into your empire changes your civilization. Right. Yeah, there's, there's I mean, a lot you can do to gradually changing an empire from uh, how it was in the past to how it is now sort of thing. Yeah, and now I'm starting to think like if you had like let's say let's take the old old world like gameplay mechanics and add some human kind of influence and say like if you had, you know, you start the game as Greece and you marry a Gaul and now you have like a lengthy history of maybe marrying into the Gauls, you know, the Gauls might bring some more militaristic viewpoints and maybe your culture starts to shift to a more militaristic. I mean, the Greeks were somewhat militaristic, but they were mostly like, you know, they, they were very into philosophy and science and stuff like that. So if, you know, you, you took the Greeks and you made them more militaristic, so then they become something else, you know? I think what they're, I think the, the, the coolest way would have been to allow the player to name their new culture every era so that you're not like stuck, right? Like you're not like, you're not kind of pigeonholed into these like these very well known and and very emblematic and and visually striking cultures like you're right like it is weird from like to go from like the romans to like the 
the Spanish, right? Like because the Romans had a very distinct look, and then the Spanish at, at during their time, you know, were at their height had a very different look as well. And so, like when the gameplay like kind of does this like tilt thing where it like pans over your your empire and you start to see like all your buildings change, that's a bit that's a bit jarring. I think it's cool, but I can see where people think it's jarring. So you know, maybe a humankind too, where little things start to influence you, and you might pick and choose parts of various cultures to make your own culture every era based on some of the things that have happened or occurred in that specific era before you move into the next one. That would be cool, but that would be a lot of work. So um, The other points I had really is pacing again. It's very, very slow. Um, you're not really getting much armies out in any decent time. It just, just it, The pacing is just so much like Endless Legend, which I just disliked. And I dislike historical forexes even more than sci- uh, terrestrial sci-fi forexes or fantasy forexes. So that's another bug. It's probably more personal thing. Um, one thing I did want to speak about, which I've not got to, a lot of the um, negative reviews now are about how uh, warfare works and how people are saying, well, they've conquered every city in the nation, and then suddenly, when they end the war, they're gonna have, they have to give a bunch of them back, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, so the way that humankind's war system works is that you accumulate war score, basically, and then when you are able to drain someone's war exhaustion down to zero, you then can sue for... You basically force them to surrender, and you take as much as you can based on how many points you have, right? So it's not perfect. It's not. I mean, it's it's a, it's an attempt to like use the war score from like beyond Earth and also kind of, I, I, I'll say this, like it's, it's also trying to keep players in the game, right? Like, so if you do get like raffle stomped by the AI, which doesn't happen, that's something I'm going to talk about. But let's say like it would just, it wouldn't be as fun if you could just take everyone, you know, out every time. I think that the way they've done it is like, it's kind of like the way maybe like if you consider like the way Russia and the allies took Germany, right? When they met in the middle, they kind of split it and there was still like a Germany and there was still a like Russian owned Germany. But actually, that's not a really good. No, because there's two nations that were fighting together that split up one nation's lands between them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's not It's not suddenly there was like a little bit, Berlin was like given back to the Nazis or whatever after World War II. Well, yeah, I mean, but it, maybe it is kind of like the the First World War where, yeah, we, like, we, the Allies won, but it's not like Germany, like, lost all of its land, you know? Like, we beat them, we, we basically forced them to surrender, but they didn't have to like give up Berlin, you know. So I mean, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a different system. I know that I understand why people don't like it because they want to be like, well, I won this damn war and I won all their cities. But they're trying to do their best to keep it from just feeling like you can rule over everyone. And that I think they're also trying to make sure that each player can still remain a player, like it still can remain part of the game throughout the entire game. I don't know. It's not the it's not perfect, but I I still don't like I don't like civilizations approach to it either where the more you get it the more warmonger score you get and before you know it everybody's attacking you because you're a warmonger and you've taken everyone, you know, like if, if even in early of the game, right? If you 
you know, you, you take one or two cities from somebody and those are the only two cities and you end up conquering all of them, that sticks with you for the entire game. So I don't know. There's, there's a, again, there's a middle spot and I don't know where it is. And maybe humankind can find it before civilization will, because I have a feeling civilization seven is going to be, you know, a, a much different game, but that, I, I, yeah, I don't have, I can't argue for that because I don't like it either. So I'm not a big fan of it, but I think it's, there's, it's, it'd be hard to find like a perfect uh, solution to that because I know what they're trying to do, but I just don't think that it was accomplished well. And let's talk about that too. Is is like the other thing that I have a big issue with is the AI passivity. Like they just don't initiate war, and that bothers me because there was there was a period in, in the VIP builds where the AI was very good at initiating war. In fact, it was it was overly aggressive. I feel like there's there's a again there's a happy medium between where that was, where that build was. And where they are now, because there were times where I was losing a game early. I knew I was losing. I didn't lose it, lose it, but I knew I was going to lose it because I'd fallen so far behind in in culture or in fame. Because early on, like the Mycenaeans would actually invade me, and you know, if I chose like the you know like the science culture in that particular era, I wasn't you know running around with a bunch of units, but they were. So they were able to take my stuff and then they were able to take like, you know, three quarters of my territories. And here I was left with like one city and a territory or something. And I, I, I knew the game was over. So th- there's, there's gotta be a, a fine line or there's gotta be a balance between figuring out how to keep the AI aggressive, especially when they're taking cultures that should be aggressive. I mean, like the Mycenaeans should be an aggressive culture. But it shouldn't be to the point where I'm feeling like I'm constantly getting attacked every turn. There should be some things I could do to keep them at bay or to maybe convince them otherwise, or maybe even, you know, I don't know. I don't, again, I'm not a game designer. I mean, like I am in my mind. I think about game design all the time, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. In my mind, I'm a, I'm yeah. a space man. Exactly. You know, like I, I, I think about this stuff a lot, but I don't know what the, the right answer is. I could sit here and like start to think about ways that we could fix that. And, you know, I don't know what the implementation, implementation, the actual implementation of it would be like, but those are all valid points. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Like the culture thing, I get it. Like I see why some people are turned off by it. The war score stuff. I totally understand. Like it doesn't bother me, but I understand why people aren't really happy about it because they want to be like, you know, they want to be like Hitler's and, you know, take over the whole world. But and then, of course, the last thing, the AI passivity thing, that's another thing that I see a lot of complaints about, and I completely agree with it because the AI is too passive. Look, I mean, okay, look, I'm, I'm being pretty harsh in the game. I've not really enjoyed my time with it, but it's it's been at just over 24 hours or whatever. I'm willing to give it a chance, wait for a few patches, and hopefully, I'm just hopefully it, it will get improved but i think that i think what you'll find and why you're seeing such different opinions is it'll be people who enjoyed endless legend will enjoy this off the bat and people who didn't enjoy endless legend won't enjoy this off the bat i'm just hoping like you said mod support maybe could help in some ways because uh, for example conquest of elysium had a few uh, problems right at launch, but because it's got mod support, there was literally a mod within an hour that fixed one of the biggest issues with that game. So again, please, mod support. Okay, well, let me just say one thing in that 
I didn't like Humankind up until the very end because I am an Endless Legend fan and because I don't like historical 4X that much. So I understand your point in that like if people liked Endless Legend, they're more likely to like Humankind. But I'll say everything that I liked about Endless Legend isn't really present in Humankind. And that's kind of where I was driven away by it for a very long time up until recently. And again, I'm not a historical 4X fan. Old World has made me a historical 4X fan. Humankind's got me back into it. And I haven't really enjoyed it since Civ 4. So I I don't know. I, I, I do think it's going to... I, I think it has kind of endeared itself to people who weren't really Endless Legend fans or haven't really been enjoying Civilization games lately. But I see where you're you're saying like, you know, some of the, like the, the pacing and stuff like that of endless legend has made its way into humankind. And I agree with that. Like the speed of it feels much slower. It feels much more, you know, I don't want to just don't like hitting and turn and turn and turn and turn. It's one of my biggest bugbearers with a lot of turn based for escape. Can I ask what was it that made you switch towards the end from not liking it to liking it then? What, what, what was the change? they did that changed your mind i don't think it was like a particular change i just think i started to give it a chance instead of looking at it as a game that like took away my endless legend 2 because i just assumed endless legend 2 is next you know they finished endless space 2 i was like endless legend 2 has gotta be coming and endless legend is one of my favorite forex games of all time so i think for the most part like I, i just i kept approaching it thinking that it would be more asymmetric more unique in its narrative and stuff like that and they started adding more narrative elements to it, which are fine. But I, I again, I don't really like them that much because they're they repeat themselves. But I think I just started to look at it for what it was, which was you know a, a historical 4x that allows you to like kind of min max in some ways and like radically change your. Sh- I mean, like the great thing about I mean, there really is a million different combinations, right? So you can go into every game and change who you're going to be each time. And you could do that a million different well, ways. Hold on, another issue I have. For some reason, there's three empires I can never pick because they're always taken. I think it's the Hittites, the Hikari or something, and something else. That For some reason, no matter how well I've played that early game, how quickly I've got to the era where I can actually pick my civilization, they're not there. And the core to three guys mentioned it. One, one guy, it was three different empires that he could never get compared to the other guy on there or girl on there. <laughs> it's, it's weird. I mean, what's that about? I think that just becomes a familiarity thing. Like I'm almost always first to my, the first era, but it's because I know how to get there quickly. So, so I think once I got where I could actually pick them, but for some reason the AI seems to pick the same three uh, civilizations every time. And if I don't get, if I don't rush for it, I can't get to play them. Basically, yeah, I guess that's something too that like the AI understands. There's a few that are are pretty powerful. Hittites are one of them. The Mycenaeans are another, and those are the two that I know that are going to get picked first by the AI if I don't get there first. So, the funny enough, like you wouldn't know, like you wouldn't think, but a militaristic culture from the very get go can be a very powerful way to play the game. And you know, the Hittites with their food, you know, that's that's something that also is really important because the more food you have, the more population you have, and the population. more population you have, and the yeah. more units you can produce, and also the more fims you can produce. So, yeah, I mean... 
this is what I'm going to say. This, this is, you know, because we've been pretty negative about it. I, I'll say Humankind is honestly the best historical 4X that I've played since Civilization 4. And the reason why I say that is because I really, I personally really like the culture changes because I do think that each time I play through it and I get to the next era, I get excited about which culture I'm going to choose. And, you know, like now that I've gotten, there's, I, I have a couple like builds, I should say, like, you know, these like kind of like, I don't know, like you know, you know, almost like a talent tree, right? If in a in an action RPG, like you know, kind of how like you know various skills will have like synergies with each other. It's very similar in this way. Like you know, there are some ways that you can take those culture paths and make it a very powerful synergistic culture that at the end of the day is going to crush everything because it's like extraordinarily good at producing things or extraordinarily good at you know growing food and and creating population if the first time around you're going with the industry focused culture that the next time around you may focus on a religious culture or a food producing culture and how those two bonuses and those, those strengths kind of synergistically or like kind of bounce off each other to make a, an equally powerful culture. And that really gets me. I really, I really enjoy it. Right. But if I was playing an action RPG, and I, I planned out my build and half halfway through my leveling process, I couldn't pick a skill because someone else on the servers picked that skill. <laughs> uh, I'd be pretty pissed off. And that's what happens in this game. Well, no, it just, <laughs> but, it's, but okay, in that case, let me think about this. Like if, if it's more like this, if you're an action play, role player and you have a particular skill set or particular build you're going for, but halfway through the game, the game throws something else at you that you weren't expecting because maybe like the, the game, the action RPG is dynamic. And so a new enemy type produces itself. And you were going for like, let's say you were like, oh, I'm going to go for this like flame burster, you know, like maybe it's like high DPS with a lot of flames. I'm thinking about Grim Dawn right now, right? So like you go with something that's like dual handed and can can just like throw a bunch of fire at them, fire damage. But you find halfway through the game that you end up, you know, getting crushed by these like fire demons that are completely impervious to fire. That would make you change your plan. That would make you need to reset your stuff and like maybe find some new gear and stuff like that. That's not out of the ordinary for an action RPG. And the same thing kind of the, the way that humankind works, it forces you to adapt. Like, you know, maybe you were going to go for that food producing culture next, but somebody got it before you did. So you think, all right, how else can I use? Like what other culture can I use that would that would help me strengthen my ability to win this game? And sometimes it forces you to think outside the box or it forces you to go outside your comfort zone and choose a culture that you wouldn't normally because that's not something that like you'd like to do, but you choose a new culture and then you find out, oh, these emblematic units are really cool and hey, like the massive amount of money that they produce helps me do this and you know, it's it, it I understand your point because you can't like plan it, but I like that you can't plan it because it makes you think on the fly sometimes. And it also makes you think more broadly about your strategy in a lot of cases. Yeah, I guess, I guess, but uh, it's definitely going to be polarizing that thing. You know, a lot of people just like to play how they like to play. I'm, I'm open to it, to be honest. It's just, I wish you had more, all I'm saying, I wish you had more input into where you were going to go into the future rather than, you know, just suddenly flipping on a dime. Okay, so I'll just say one more thing, and I know Sean wants to say something, but you can keep your culture the whole game, right? So, like, you can start off as the Egyptians and then stay the Egyptians the entire game. So, 
it actually gives you more fame as a result. So if you like transcend is what it's called. If you transcend each era and you just remain the Egyptians through the entire game, you actually accumulate more fame as a result. So like the payoff is like, yeah, okay, you're not getting like cool new units. Like, you know, towards the end when the Americans get like F-35 lightnings, you know, who are like completely dominant in the air. If you're the Egyptians, you never get like a cool, like modern era unit. You get all the stuff that's like, normal throughout the tech tree but you don't get like your own unique modern unit but the trade-off is that you get a lot more fame for things that you do so you may not be as powerful in some ways but you also accumulate more fame let's say in the second culture you like the mayans and you're like you know what i'm gonna stay the mayans the rest of the game you can do that so that's the thing like that's why i don't people i don't understand why people are bitching about it because like you can stay who you want to be it's just that you have the opportunity to switch cultures every every era too, which again I think is cool. So it, it plays to both people's like desires because you can do both. Yeah. So you guys have spent a lot more time with this than I have. Honestly, I've only put a couple of hours in last night. So yeah, I'm. I don't know. At the moment, it's sort of the. This is basically just a first impression kind of thing that I've got, which is why I really, really haven't had much to contribute. But it basically feels to me like because I've played Civ Four, Civ Five, haven't touched Civ Six yet. It basically feels exactly like Amplitude have made their take on a Civ game, which is what they're obviously going for, isn't it? So, and it's. I don't know. I'm not far into it at the moment. And I haven't really got any major gripes. It feels slow a bit, but that's about it. And because of course it does, because it's the early game. But all I really wanted to say, like historical forex, isn't really my thing either, to be honest. But I'm enjoying this enough that I want to spend more time with it and see where it goes. Yeah, I know I'm sounding like a negative Nancy, but this is just my first impressions. I've not played the game a whole bunch. You know, I've probably put maybe six hours, six, seven hours into it. So I, I am going to put some more time in it. I definitely think we should do a follow-up thing. I hope they just take some of the feedback and maybe we get a decent enough patch that fixes a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm I am going to give it uh, more time. So well, some of this written it off. Yeah, well, some of this stuff like the AI issues there tend to be pretty prevalent in a lot of different games, and they, they, from what I remember from other games that have that sort of issues, like they might take a bit, but they're definitely not impossible to fix. So a lot of this stuff could get ironed out down the track but there's no reason that it couldn't yeah but look at the other endless games they they never the issues from the start of endless space 2 for example never really got fixed yeah this is that's the part that drives me nuts being somebody who's been behind the scenes is that at one point the ai was very confident so i don't know if it was just like a few last minute changes to balance and the way things were like i mean like there were a lot of things going on at the end, right? Because they had the Victor open dev and they got a lot of good feedback and they tried to do their best to respond to it in a lot of ways. And they did a great job of responding to a lot of it, but I think they weren't able to keep the AI in line and in touch with that, those changes. And I mean, like I'm telling you, like two months ago, the AI was crushing me every time I played it. I never won a game. I was like, man, maybe this is actually too good. And now I, you know, with some relative ease i can beat them every time so and that's even on the higher difficulties like i just started trying the the second highest difficulty and i'm up in fame score by like three or four hundred and i'm i'm trying i'm like making conscious efforts to make good decisions but i don't feel like i'm trying really that hard so yeah i'm hoping that they fix that i'm hoping that they can work on the passivity stuff and i'm hoping that they figure out ways to 
Because a lot of people are saying that religion feels bland and, and boring. If they can wait, like spice that up a bit. I don't, I mean, I think it's a better system than civilization's religious system, but I still think religion in 4X games just kind of feels weird and stupid. And except for Old World, which is funny because, you know, like we just don't talk about Old World enough. I feel like more people need to be playing that game. So what I want to do now, though, is I, because we've played and we've talked about humankind for so long, I want to play Conquest of Elysium 5 and I want to have a discussion about it. So I'm thinking what we do this, we do this, we come back to humankind in a month, hopefully with within a month, people have had enough time to talk about it. Maybe some of the gripes that we have now have been fixed. We come back, we give like our full, like full on impressions, talk about things we really just like, you know, that maybe stick with us and the things that we don't like. Maybe Drex comes around and likes some of the stuff. I don't know. And then maybe some of the stuff that are legitimate, like objective issues with it are fixed with the patches and stuff. And then we also do like a Conquest of Elysium 5 episode too, where yeah. we... Because I'd, I'd like Ben to be in both of these discussions, to be honest, because, yeah, well, he knows Conquest of Elysium way more than I do. And he's also smarter than me. arguments against humankind for you so (laughs) well he's smarter than all of us i think but that's all right um ben we miss you not the crow the crow can fuck itself but the person we 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 look forward to having you back buddy but yeah i think in a month we come back and we revisit both and we give conquest of elysium its due because by then we'll have had the interview with the developers that winter and Furthermore, we'll also have had more time with the actual game because as of now, I think Drex is the only one who's really played it. So I want to come back. And, and I've had to balance my time between the two games, basically. Yeah. It came out, they both came out together on Thursday evening and it's now Saturday morning. Well, uh, 4 a.m. in the morning. So I've not, I've had to juggle between playing both of them for this podcast. I basically had less than a day, really, if you include sleeping and whatnot to put in time between the two of them so yeah yeah so that's probably even better reason for us to come back to it and unfortunately we're not like you know three moves ahead we don't get copies like 17 weeks in advance so we'll have to be like normal human beings and come back but in the meantime i do think that it's important for everybody to to check out our not important i would like everybody to check out our review on the website i think it's a well-written review and our um, malima Lamina, I don't know how you pronounce his name. He liked it a lot. He enjoyed it. He spent 40 hours in a week playing it and he ended up walking away being as, you know, pretty excited about it. I've had 270 hours now with it and I still really enjoy it. In fact, I think I like it now better than I did even just a few months ago. And I look forward to what's coming next for Humankind. I'd, I'd like to give a shout out to a view of Humankind, if, if I may. Absolutely. So this is a review by Peach versus Eggplant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I didn't like it. I've been looking forward for forward to it for a while now. I guess I didn't realize it was going to be a turn-based type board game setup type game rather than an actual RPG or a first-person open world game. I'm sure it's a great game if you dig turn-based stuff. <laughs> and he left a negative review. Like and I left a negative review. <laughs> that's everything wrong with Steam reviews. Refunded. I was just going to say you should. We should do. I don't know how we'd ever do it. I just this weird idea. We should make an episode and just call it like an that. Should be Steam the cover art for this just, this episode. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. everything wrong with Steam reviews, and then just read like random reviews like this. 
where this, I mean, like, I'm not saying that, like, they can't recover from this, but, like, Amplitude Studios is going to forever be given this negative review that literally doesn't mean shit. And it actually affects their sales. Like, you know, like, I, I mean, for me, I know we've talked about this, right? Like, if I see a game that's mixed or mostly positive, I'm very unlikely to get it unless it's something that I think I'll enjoy. You know, like, because I get sh- like, if, if even if it's like something that I'm teeter tottering on, if it's mostly positive or mixed, I'm not going to get it. I only I wait until it's like positive or overwhelmingly positive. And for this particular review, it's like it, it'll always drag it down just ever so slightly. How can you look forward to a game for so long and didn't realize what it was? I think that's a I troll think someone review. Said it, it's because it, it's the AAA graphics. People are used to seeing AAA graphics. I think it's a troll review. I really really do think maybe like someone from Firaxis like decided that they were going to buy it and do that. (laughs) (laughs) I have no idea, but this, yeah, I mean, as you were saying before, this is this is things that are wrong with Steam reviews and stuff. But yeah, I think that'd be great, Sean. Good idea. We're gonna do a whole show and find just like the worst reviews of games and like how, like you know, basically just just shit on Steam reviews because I think. I mean, I don't want to talk about this too long, but like this is exactly why Brad went to Epic for his early access on on Galactic Civilizations Four. He wants to be able to do the whole like early access period without stupid reviews like this that are going to like permanently affect the ability to sell a game. So yeah, yeah. and that's a smart move. Like there's um, other companies that have done that too. I mean, well, Snapshot kind of did, but then they still yeah. Um, but I mean, brace yourself. They've got two games and one of them's only just come to steam if industries of titan had come out to steam in the state it was in when it went to epic it would have been murdered and now it's come out a year later and it's way better like you just if, if you release it on epic it's hidden you can get away with it for like a year and then release it when it's good and it gets good reviews but if you release it too early you just get killed and then you're screwed like because you've got these negative reviews and like you said you know that's a permanent mark on their reputation everyone's going to look at that and go oh, you know, this is not a good game. It's got mixed reviews. And then unless you really go and look into it and find out what it's all about and look at the discussions or whatever, you just go, ah, it's garbage and get rid of it. Yeah, I think- yeah that, I mean, they, they should do, for early access games, maybe they should just wipe out every review up until like a month before release because then at least the reviews will be somewhat accurate to the final thing, you know, not having every review that's been around for like three years or whatever. For a game that's been in early access. Completely agree. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, like, every review that hasn't been completed within, like, 60 days prior to your early access or, like, version one should be erased. And then, you know, of course, like, an email could be sent by Steam, like, hey, by the way, this game came out of early access. Your review is erased if you want to go back and, you know, play it again and try it again and see, you know, because, like, right now what I really do like is that Steam requires you to have played the game to give a review. I wish there was a minimum requirement, like an hour, right? Like, because you 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 can only refund it after you know below two hours. So if you had to play a game for an hour in order to review it, at least some of the bullshit would go away. But man, that's that's a whole episode. So we're gonna stop talking about it. I'm gonna stop this episode now because it's way longer than I expected it to be. And like I said, we're gonna come back to humankind and conquest of Elysium five. So expect those episodes we'll definitely do those in the month of september i promise and in the meantime thank you drexy for joining me no problem and thank you for your bullshit opinions (laughs) (laughs) uh we knew that was coming and sean thank you very much for being here 
It's not worries. We're always glad to be human. And thank Ben in the background, please, just for his short interruptions. Hey, Ben. Oh, no, he's gone. Yeah. Anyways, hopefully the real Ben will join us next time, and we will have at it with humankind. We'll give us a few more weeks to let Drexy figure out how it's actually a good game, and maybe Sean can you know get past the early game and, and talk about more of it. So, yeah. This is Rob, Drexy, and Sean for Explominate, and we are missing Ben, but the other Ben stood in, so thank you. And until next time, keep exploring.